Yo, what's up, everybody? Episode 99 of the Pitcher Bet Sports Pod. On today's episode, we've got to talk about the devastation of Devontae Adams leaving us Packers fans and going to the Sin City in Las Vegas, as well as Deshaun Watson finding a home in Cleveland. Lastly, in the NFL, Matt Ryan traded to the Indianapolis Colts. They have their quarterback for this season. And then we got to talk about March Madness, the diamond. Carlos Correa gets his contract. Trevor Story to the Boston Red Sox. And Matt Chapman dealt late to the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's run the music. Woo! Everybody, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me out in the new home of Devonte Adams, Matt Morris. What's up, pal? How are you doing? What's up, buddy? Yeah, I uh, I was not going to buy a Raiders jersey, being a lifelong Packer fan. Just you know, I haven't bought into the fact that this is my team because I live here. It's not my team. But with that being said, when the news came down, I said to everyone that you know was talking to me about Devonte, I hit the jackpot. He leaves a team that I love, saves money for a team I love, gets draft picks for a team I love, and comes to the city I live in. So I will be buying a Devontae Adams number 17 jersey. It is a little sad. Kenyon Drake did want to sure 17. Sad. I saw the text messages that he sent to a few people that are regulars. He's not <laughs> too stoked that he can't be 17, but Devontae is a Raider. I mean, when you're getting $28.5 million, you can pretty much guarantee they're going to give you whatever number you want. (laughs) It's just like in high school when you and I were like 25th, maybe 35th, 50th to pick our number. We just kind of had to take what we got to get, right, bro? We weren't the starters. (laughs) You you lied to yourself and you're like, yeah, I love number 37. This is my favorite number. (laughs) I loved 69 the whole time. I play cornerback, but 69, Let's be honest. 69 is like the first pick off the board. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, the big ass dude, the jokester, 100%. <laughs> um, but before we get into the Devontae Adams news, let's go over our pitcher bet. So on our last episode, we talked about it's the dance. It's March Madness. It's my favorite time of the year to watch basketball, to bet basketball. Um, crazy shit happens. We knew this was going to happen. We picked our sweet 16. So Matt and I, we went over the matchups, talked about it. And we wanted to see who would get as many, who would get as many right on picking the Sweet 16 for this week. Um, of course, the guy that's been watching college basketball since January didn't win. That was me. <laughs> and so, how many did you end up getting, Matt? How many out of your 16 are still alive? Uh, I have 10. I have 10 written down. So that's fucking again, beautiful. You kind of like preface this. I have not a goddamn clue about college yeah. basketball, yeah. and I honestly don't care as much. Although I will say it is a great time, and these games are really fun to watch. Um, but yeah, dude, I got 10, and that just goes to show you, it's just a crapshoot. You know what I mean? I kind of picked higher seeds for the most part. I tried to do a couple upsets. I, 10, though, 10. And I wish I would have picked Ten's Michigan good. because, I know. damn, I, I felt it in my soul. I just, you know, didn't do it. Yeah, we both were kind of talking about it. It seemed as if um, they would kind of make a run. Maybe they'd either make a run or lose by 30, right? Yeah. They made the run. Um, I got eight, which, you know, I'm actually not that upset about. I picked a couple upsets and they were the wrong upsets, which 
that's what'll get you. And then the upsets that happen are against the teams that you picked. And next thing you know, your bracket's falling apart and you're just sitting there like, this is, this is what it's all about. Like, I don't get butthurt about it. I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, fuck, dude, how can Kentucky lose to St. Peter's? It's like, dude, that's, that's what you sign up for, bro. Like, even if it ruins your bracket, that's what you, that's what I sign up for. That's, that's the madness to me, right? Um, I'm more upset about the gambling losses than I am about my bracket. Like, I, you're not going to win your bracket. So, um, congratulations, Matt. Uh, we just counted it. So I'll send you the Venny for your pitcher. Tomorrow's your day off. So that works out perfectly. Um, to go ahead and enjoy yourself. So we will be picking this next episode, our pitcher bet. Pretty simple. We're going to do the final four. My final four teams are still alive. So out of the eight, I still have the four that I think are going to make it. So that makes me feel a little bit better. But did you watch a game? I know you were working all weekend. So you, you're, the bars were crazy. But was there a surprise? Did you see St. Peter's? What did you like about March Madness this weekend, if anything? Yeah, I think, and I wanted to kind of comment on this in regards to the gambling. Uh, those of you that love betting, this is obviously your time of the year, but someone as in me who doesn't bet on this, uh, I threw a little bit of money down last year when you were out here in Vegas. Right, right. And that was fun. But man, I saw all weekend, you know, working in Vegas, especially at a bar and a restaurant, like people that were talking about March Madness or were here for it, they didn't seem like they were having a great time. <laughs> and it's like... I feel like someone that's not gambling, I love St. Peter's. Like, keep the band rolling, yeah. you know? Like, keep winning. Like, that's the stuff I love. It's a Cinderella story. It's good basketball. You see these guys literally fighting tooth and nail for every bucket because they want it so badly. And that's a lot of teams. But I think that's the, the absolute joy and love of March Madness. And when you're gambling on it, you know, like, you may not be stoked that St. Peter's won. And it's like, dude, that's way more important than your $50 parlay. Like who gives a shit? Like enjoy the sport. Hundred uh, It's a different, it's a totally different environment though. I literally live in the, like the betting capital of the world. So we're going to see more of that like degenerate behavior, I feel like. And there were some people that were super stoked did well this weekend. Um, but in terms of like what I, what I enjoyed again, St. Peter's winning, you know, like Auburn going down because they were completely, um, they, they, their plan was completely shifted around their first overall possible pick. And right, you take him out of the game. They don't know how to operate their offense. Their defense falls apart. It's God's those bank. types of things that are really fun about March Madness because you don't see them coming per se. Um, it's it's seven to t- or seventeen to two runs that Duke went on, or sixteen to two runs like keeping Coach K in the tournament in his final season. All of those things are the beauty of March Madness, and I, I just I think I enjoy it more where I don't have a lot of skin in the game. Yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree with that sentiment. And two things that you knew were going to happen was, one, the fucking Big Ten, again, every year (laughs) is going to let you down. The most teams in the tournament. And who makes it? Purdue, who everyone was talking shit on. But Jaden Ivey, Matt, I don't know if you watch Purdue. Watch them play if you if you have them on in the bar, dude. This Jaden Ivey kid is no, no joke, bro. He's really nice. Purdue might... They have a shot to make a real run. And then the other team that makes it is the team no one thought was supposed to make it, even in the tournament from the Big Ten. (laughs) Michigan, Wisconsin, out. Illinois, out. Ohio State, out. Rutgers, out. The list goes on, and it's every year I still fall into the trap. Like, I picked Wisconsin, and that's a homer pick, right? I got the Wisconsin Hat Packer jersey on. It's a homer pick, but, dude, you can't win a game to get to the Sweet 16 in Milwaukee. You're soft. Like they they cherry picked that one for you, bro. Um, it's just crazy to me how consistent the Big Ten is letting people down in the tournament. And it just goes to show getting buckets, having a score that can get a bucket at any time in the game is more valuable than a methodical 
possession by possession team defensive structured team like the big 10 teams are right those guys need to play with a lead they need to play good team offense they like to play good hard defense but if you run into a team like houston and ohio state man oh man houston was just more athletic just kept making buckets if their defense was better than ohio state um they got they got their ass excuse me that was illinois not ohio state but still they got their ass kicked, man. It was it was just crazy. It was crazy. And then the second thing, Matt, and you know where I'm going with this, is fucking Gonzaga. Here we are again, two years in a row doing this podcast, two years in a row with me saying there is no effing way that these fools are winning the national championship, almost lose their first-round matchup to the 16th seed, barely crawl by Memphis. They don't. Their guard play is way worse than last year. Chet Holmgren is solid, but he's definitely still a project. And Drew Timmy... The carry, he carries that team. He will go down probably as the best college basketball player to never make it in the NBA. Um, they're an absolute mess. I uh, A little preview, they're not making the Final Four here, Matt. But those are my two big like light bulb that was kind of obvious that this was going to happen. Big 10 chokes. Gonzaga, they're going to disappoint. They look like shit. Well, yeah, and they're about to go up against a very athletic Arkansas team. Yep. Um, you talk about guard play. I think this is finally where that gets exposed. And uh, Arkansas is big. Their big takeaway was the fact that they they don't shoot the three ball well. Is that correct? We talked correct. about that. Correct, yep. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's going to matter. When you out-athlete another team to the level that Arkansas is about to do to Gonzaga, they might beat them by 15. Now, again, I think Gonzaga could get by here. But I guarantee you they're not being Texas Tech or Duke. It's not happening. I agree. They, they don't have the pieces. And you look at what Suggs did for them last year, and this is kind of a comment, too, for uh, the Wisconsin team. Oftentimes, these teams talk about, well, if we can just get you know a number one recruit or a top 10 recruit to come in here, especially at the guard position, you know that'll elevate us to the next level. Well, hey, we kind of saw that from Suggs last year, right? Like that wasn't necessarily the the shot creator and the score that they really ultimately needed, but he was a great player. You look at the opposite for Wisconsin; doesn't fit the system. Does why? Why even have a top ten, top well, they, twenty? Recruit? They have the, they do. They have the Big Ten Player of the Year, and he's just a fraud. But that's what I'm saying, right? You know, he doesn't like he was just a fraud. System. So yeah. these these schools that want to just you know bang the drum that all these other schools that are out here with programs that uh, that draw these top recruits in. Teams like Wisconsin and teams like Gonzaga. Look what Chet's doing. Don't get me wrong. Chet, like you said, is a good player. He's not Suggs. He's not doing as a freshman what Suggs did for that team, right? Correct. He's a great recruit. But again, when you have a, a system in place, an offense and defensive system that doesn't fit these top recruits, it doesn't really provide you the over-the-top um, mentality that you would expect in this tournament. And I think we're going to see that with Chet. I think ultimately they get bounced and they're going to have to go back to the, like the, the square root of getting guys like Timmy into that organization and keeping them there. Having two young guards that are going to stay there for four years, because I think that better suits them in March. Moving on to the NFL to start off March Madness on Thursday, the bombshell trade of the offseason comes in. Um, making a lot of mixed emotions for Packer fans, especially Packer fans like me who were drinking watching college basketball. Devontae Adams traded for a first and second round pick to the now Las Vegas Raiders, um, basically freeing up $20 million in cap space for the Packers and giving the Raiders the best wide receiver in all of football to pair with Darren Waller, Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, and Hunter Renfro, making their office really explosive and just making that AFC West Argue, not, not even an argue, 
that they're the best division in all football. I don't want to hear anything else from anybody, especially the Ram fans that still hold on to that for reasons that I don't understand. So just to start it off, Matt, I'll, I'll let you kick this off. Let's start with the Packers first. So what does this trade for Devontae mean for the Green Bay Packers today? What position are they in now coming into the new season? I think first and foremost, what it means from a financial perspective over the next four years, we'll scale it back to three, which is what Aaron Rodgers is signed for. The Green Bay Packers have the opportunity to keep this core in place while also in the next two off seasons, adding to this team, whether that's a wide receiver or it's a rush end, or if it's an interior defensive lineman, maybe a right tackle, signing Jair, signing Rashawn Gary, they're going to keep this group together. And yes, Devontae, number one wide receiver in the league, great connection with Aaron Rodgers but they got a first and a second round pick for Devontae. That's a massive haul for a wide receiver. And yes, again, number one wide receiver in the league, but Aaron Rodgers is the reason Devontae Adams has been able to become the number one receiver in this league. If you pair Devontae with any other quarterback, we'll say even a mid-tier quarterback like Baker Mayfield or Matt Ryan, Devontae Adams is not Devontae Adams today. He was able to elevate his game because he had the best passer of the football of all time. If you date back all the way to, uh, to Adams' first and second year, he was awful. You know, fans were calling for him to be cut after that second season. So kudos to, to Devante here. But I really do believe the Packers, if they can re-sign MVS, maybe bring another athlete into that wide receiver room and then draft a guy maybe day one. If, they're, if they if a guy falls, you know, we kind of talked about London being there at the top of the draft, the kid from Arkansas being there. There's a couple guys from Ohio State as well. Um, in mock drafts, they are kind of all projected to go before that 20th pick. I think the Packers have 23 from the Raiders. So it'll be interesting to see if someone falls. But in all honesty, I love this for the Packers. I think ultimately this will help them continue to have success. Saving $30 million is no joke. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say I love it for the Packers. Financially, 100%. Like That, that is the, the one win you can kind of take away from it as a Packer fan is, look, like you said, now they can go out and sign people, right? That's awesome. That's something they haven't been able to do because of Devontae, because of Aaron, because like, look, <laughs> for as much shit as we give the Packers as Packer fans, they draft well. And I thought you made a great point there. And I, that's what's going to be my first point is if you would have told me when we drafted Devontae Adams, he would either leave the team or stay on the team as not only the highest paid receiver in the league, but the best receiver in the league. I wouldn't have believed you. And I was hyped. Devontae was a great player. Uh, early in his career, he did have a ton of drops. He wasn't playing good in his second season, which what you were alluded to saying, you know, people were asking to cut him, you know, which was a little ridiculous. But at the end of the day, they paid Aaron Rodgers the money. At the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers knew that Devontae Adams was not going to come back. He didn't want to come back. It was over. He bought that house in Vegas. That, that was kind of the writing on the wall, right? And at the end of the day, now it's time to show that you deserve that contract if you're Aaron Rodgers, that you can elevate guys like Alan Lazar, that you don't need to focus on Devontae Adams in a must-win game on a must-win throw, that now we can trust the Matt LaFleur system and, like you said, keep that core intact. Um, I think it's going to be a tough transition period for the Packers. I'm not going to lie. I don't think it's going to be an easy first you know, quarter of the season. The first four or five games will be an adjustment period. But they have the players in place to make this happen. And for the first time, I think in the past, probably in the whole Aaron Rodgers era, now the defense might actually start carrying this team and Rodgers can just finish teams off. That's what we saw in San Francisco, or excuse me, against San Francisco. They just couldn't finish the job. And a lot of the blame is Aaron focusing on Devontae and missing other guys. 
Yeah, I mean, you nailed it right on the head. That was my last takeaway from this. And this is what I've been preaching to everyone out here in Vegas that's super excited for Adams and ultimately wants to rub it in my face that he's not on Green Bay anymore. Of course. Is, is listen, Devontae's amazing, but Aaron is better. And with the right athletes on the field, we've seen what that can do in the 49ers system, which is basically the system we, we run, right? But we have Aaron Rodgers. If you can get a guy that's even half as talented as Debo out there, you know, that has the speed and the agility, and Aaron can actually spread the ball around the way he's supposed to, you're talking about this offense possibly even being more efficient. I'm not saying week one next year. Not at all. I agree. It's going to take a little bit of growing pains coming into the 2022 season. But by week 13, 14, 15, Aaron's going to be in the zone and he's going to be hitting guys. It's going to be five, six, seven catches per game for maybe four different guys. And that is exactly what Green Bay needs. You cannot rely on Devontae to have 10, 12 catches a game. Aaron's looking to him as his number one option on every single route. That is not, that is not how you operate an offense. And that is what Aaron has done the last two years. We have been watching every single game, and it's Aaron's first read right to Devontae, right? Devontae's not over. Okay, look at Lazard. Lazard didn't break off the route on time. Okay, check down to Aaron Jones. At the end of the day, we have two starting running backs, a great offensive line, a good defense, and four draft picks in the top 60. Continue to elevate this team and start to spread the ball around. That is why I love this trade for the Packers. Yep, 100%. And then, I mean, why I love the trade for the Raiders, man, they uh, – <laughs> They might have they have a top three skill position group on offense in the league now. Off the top of my head, they're easily in the top five now, um, and that that's what you had to do to compete in the AFC West, right? They were easily going to be a five win team before they got Adams, in my opinion. Now I think they elevate to somewhere around a little above five hundred, right? I'm looking like that ten and seven range, but I think that entire division, that winner, I think might be ten and seven because they're all going to beat up on each other so bad. So massive win for the Raiders. I think the obvious thing is, is the pressure and all the eyes in my eyes aren't on Devontae. Devontae's going to do his thing. Don't don't get it twisted. Like I know you said Devontae, you know, Rodgers makes him better. Don't get it twisted. though. Adams is the best route runner, catcher, jumper in the league right now. Hands down. So my my focus is going to be on Derek Carr. Like you want this forty five million dollar contract. You want the Mahomes contract. You want the Rodgers contract. That's what he's looking for, asking for. If you cannot get it done this year, if you fold under pressure, if you don't, if they don't make the playoffs, the pe people are going to be coming for your head, myself included. If he does not end up in the top five, as far as statistics go this year, I'm going to be sorely disappointed in him because he has no excuse. He's going to have someone open every play. Well, and this is my concern with Adams. The Raiders don't have a great offensive line, which is going to cost Carr time in the pocket, right? And in that division, you have Sertan, you have J.C. Jackson, and I know Ward is now gone, but I'm sure Kansas City will probably look to draft a cornerback in the first round. That's really the only team that you're talking about not having a shutdown corner in, in your own division. I wouldn't be surprised to see Devontae locked up a few games and allowing Renfro and Waller to really operate that field and just force Derek Carr into making throws. Because if you think about it, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, right? Good rushers. You have Chubb and you have uh, Randy Gregory now with the Broncos. And then you have Jones and Clark there with Kansas City. Like Carr is going to need a good offensive line. Like, and they don't have a pick in the first or second round. Like we've saw some of these value guys go quickly to other teams. Like the Raiders should have been focused also on at least adding a tackle or a guard. Like that's my concern for the Raiders. You're right. I think Devontae Adams puts up, 
puts up the numbers, but it's like, what does that do to the team, right? Like yeah. same issue Rodgers had. If Carr's looking for Devontae every time, how many times is he going to miss Hunter? How many times is he going to miss Waller streaking across the middle? Like, I'm just concerned when it comes to timing. Carr needs all the time. And that well, you saw last year when the Raiders really struggled, it was because Carr was running for he his life. He got scared, yep. He yeah, got, and he got happy were, feet. Yeah, and there were even defenders tweeting it out about how, like, it's kind of funny, <laughs> right. but it's the truth. So... Great, great pickup, I think, for the organization, for the fan base. Vegas is all about Devontae. He's going to look great in that black and silver. But ultimately, I don't think it was really the right move. The offensive line should have been the number one focus. The second biggest news of the weekend was Deshaun Watson made up his mind. He's a new man. He's got a new team. He's going to be going to Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland gave up three first rounders and some other 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 picks. End of the day, Cleveland's out on Baker Mayfield, in on Deshaun Watson. The AFC North is now fucking loaded too. Just to add to the just entire AFC in general, just being this might be the most dominant conference in football. I think in my lifetime, honestly, like it is ridiculous with the amount of like quarterback dominance, right? Like you have arguably 10 top court, the top 10 quarterbacks off the top of my head here. I'd say six to seven of them are in the AFC. I need to really think that out a little bit more, but we're looking at it's probably 70% of the best quarterbacks in the league are all in one conference. It's going to be nuts, man. Um, Pairing him up with Chubb and Kareem Hunt's, um Landry's out but you know even Donovan Peoples-Jones and Joku decided to stay there like dude they're gonna be so sick I know the allegations and we're not gonna talk about that um I think it is a little ridiculous how fast teams moved in on that but that's neither here nor there um at the end of the day man Deshaun Watson in my opinion if he's still the same guy he was two years ago he's in my top five you can just kick Stafford right out of there and I'll put Deshaun Watson up there no hesitation dude he can absolutely flat out play and the fact that he chose cleveland was interesting but if you really think it out um depending on new orleans situation definitely atlanta uh cleveland has the best ready to win roster right now and not as easy a division but an easier division in the afc yeah absolutely and i think it'll be interesting to see kind of the the brady effect that now we have with deshaun here in cleveland how many guys are willing to come and play for deshaun that normally wouldn't be interested in Cleveland. You talk about Landry being out. Honestly, I know there was a, a rough breakup there. He had said his goodbye on Instagram. The Browns thanked him and this and that. He's out. I wouldn't be surprised for them to bring someone very similar in. Uh, he, they need to add at least one more wide receiver, whether that comes via trade, whether it comes via the draft. I think the Robert Woods to Tennessee was a really good fit, and I would have liked to see Robert Woods be sent to Cleveland. That would have been a great pairing. But as it stands right now, this team is still going to be a run-centric offense because they need to have, again, athletes on the field at the wide, re- wide receiver position, and they're very slim there. So I like it for this season. I absolutely love it for the 2023 season. I think they need to get a couple more weapons in there, really help him highlight his ability of throwing the ball downfield. Um, this coming season, though, I would expect to see him kind of slowly worked into that offense in regards to kind of opening up the playbook, lean on Chubb, lean on Hunt. And as he develops that relationship with his wide receiver cores, I think we'll start to see Deshaun really start to flourish. So I'd say probably after week 10, we start to see him really take off. But I love it overall. I think this was probably the best landing spot for him outside of Indianapolis. I don't think Indianapolis was ever going to even consider no trading chance. for him. Well, and Houston, Houston wouldn't have sent him in the division. Into the, into no the division as well. Yeah. Um, but 
I also don't like him going to the Saints for the simple fact that we've talked about this. They've been in cap hell. They need those draft picks to help settle that organization and settle those rosters. And ultimately, re-signing Jameis kind of allows them to do that without committing, what was it, six picks that Cleveland traded away? But Cleveland It was, been, it was up there, yeah. It was three yeah, years was, of first rounds. Like, I mean, first, you can't rebuild third, it. fourth, yeah. and a third, I think. And they're in win now. You've got Garrett on the edge, right? You've got these, you've got the tight end uh, in Ninjoku that you talked about, which I think is probably the biggest winner from all of this. Austin Hooper is now gone. Right. I would expect Ninjoku to be possibly a top three tight end if he can stay healthy. He's going like, to be up there. Yeah. They, they have no real other weapons other than Peoples Jones. Um, but yes, this was a great, great opportunity for Cleveland. I think they cashed in on it. And I think he made the right choice when I saw that he was eliminating Cleveland from his list of suitors down to Atlanta. And obviously the Saints, I thought he was out of his mind to even think about <laughs> Atlanta over the Browns. Yeah. was just ridiculous. And I know he grew up in the Atlanta area and he's as, you know, loves that team. But we talked about this off the podcast. What do you have? Kyle Pitts and our boy Richie Grant. That's it. So good for both sides. I think this was a win overall for the NFL. Yeah, me too. Um, as far as the on the field shit, right? Obviously, oh, hundred you know? percent. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a win too. And they're, and they're they are a receiver away, right? You know, their defense really came together pretty well last year. They get one decent kid in the draft, or they pick up one of these more low key free agents that are out there, which there's a decent amount. Like, I think they'll be completely fine. Deshaun is young; he's athletic. Um, him with that backfield is going to be so electric. I'm ready. I'm ready to see that. I'm excited to see if he's still an elite quarterback, which I I think he is. Like I said, I'd put him in my top five if he's the same as he was two seasons ago. The other part of this story is Baker. Um, we're talking about it. Basically, Carolina is the only other team. Carolina and like maybe Seattle are the only teams that need a quarterback at this point because Atlanta just signed Marcus Mariota. Looks like they're in full tank for the quarterbacks next year. Um, and then like, you know, all these young teams, the Jets, the Dolphins, Houston, you know, like these teams all have young quarterbacks. It seems like they're going to ride with. And it goes to show that they don't seem to be interested in this year's QB class. It doesn't seem like I don't think anyone's reaching for Malik Willis this year. I really don't. I think everyone's fully into the tank. And if we get CJ Stroud or if we get Bryce uh, Young out of Alabama or any of these other good prospects coming out, we'll live with one bad season. So. Like, is Baker going to even be on a team next year? Like, I, I cannot think where he's going to go. I have no idea who's going to pick him up. It's hard. Where What I would like to see, and this isn't going to happen just from a pure uh, cap dollar perspective and honestly organizational structuring, is I would love to see the Lions flip golf. I was thinking to be that a backup too. And then yeah. bring Baker in. I think when you talk about the culture that Campbell's building there and kind of what Baker does for the team overall, I think he'd be a fantastic Lion uh, and I think he'd be a better placeholder for that organization than what Goff is. But you're right. Like the Lions are kind of my team. And there's a lot of things that would have to have really happen that are kind of outside the realm of reality. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I think he probably does take a year off. I could see them cutting him just to save cap because they were asking for a first. That's yeah, there's not no happening. shot. Yeah. For I could see a third with Matt Ryan getting a third. Like I think Baker has the upside of being what Matt Ryan is ultimately at his age. But at this point in time, like does Carolina really view Baker Mayfield as an upgrade? Sure he is, but does, do they want to win two more games next year? I wouldn't. I want this draft class. So you're kind of in this conundrum of like, damn, do we even try? It's screwed. He's, he's screwed, man. And it, it's really unfortunate. Like there was going to be one guy this year with all this movement that got absolutely screwed by timing. And it was Baker. You scale this back a month. Baker's got six, seven teams that want him. 
Yeah, and the last thing I want to say to you about Baker is like, yeah, he's not a top ten quarterback by any means, but the amount of shit people talk about him is, in my opinion, unwarranted. Like, I get he's not an elite quarterback, but especially Browns fans too. Like, let's not forget he was the first successful quarterback there in twenty years. So I know it is a product of the system, and he had good running max and a good line, but like. Jesus Christ, the dude played with, I think, a torn ligament in his shoulder or his rotator cuff, uh, three other injuries. He's a gamer, you know? Like, I don't think this complete shit-talking on Baker has been warranted this entire offseason. He had a bad season, sure, but I don't think he needs to be out of the league, which I kind of agree with you, man. I think he might be. I think it would be a travesty. I I feel really bad for him, honestly, if if that was the case. Well, and you said it, Seattle's probably the logical fit here. And I think probably a uh, fourth conditional third or a fifth conditional fourth. Just send based Drew on Locke's ass time. over there and just do a flop. Well, they just signed a backup for him. Who did they just bring in to be Watson's backup in I Cleveland? think it was Brissett. I think they brought yes, in Jacoby. Yeah, yeah, it was. So Locke would have no, I mean, he'd be that's, literally that's cut true. probably. Um, but I think Seattle would be a great opportunity. you got a good receiving core over there. I feel there. Like him you know, and Pete would line. be great together. Yeah, and it's all about what would they ask, right? And again, a conditional pick, I think, kind of what we saw with Carson Wentz, not the same value assessment, though, but a fifth that turns to a fourth, a fourth that turns into a third. Um, And Cleveland's going to have to be okay with that because at this point, again, it's down to the Carolina Panthers and the Seattle Seahawks. Like, you don't have any leverage at the bargaining table. Last football news of the pod was, I thought actually a really good trade. At first, I said, what the fuck is that? Like, really? Uh, The Colts trade for Matt Ryan. After digging in a little bit deeper, though, Matt, and like really putting some critical thinking into this, um, I think it's a win for the Colts. I don't think Matt Ryan is MVP Matt Ryan anymore, but I don't think he's as bad as he was the past two and a half, three years. Because you and I were going over it off, off camera before we recorded. Atlanta's had a bottom five roster for almost four seasons now. Even when Ridley was on the team, their team was bad, bad. And the fact that Ryan somehow willed that team to, I think, six or seven wins last year says a ton about him, and he doesn't get enough credit for the fact that they were good enough last season. So you put him on an elite roster in Indianapolis, just don't turn the ball over, Matt. Hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor. And they have a lot of weapons over there. I think this is going to be huge. I'm, you know, we're going to do our predictions in a while here, but I'm right now at this point in time, I'm leaning as them with Ryan to win the division. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think what Ryan does to this team is it does exactly what Carson Wentz was supposed to do is give a, give you a guy that can actually go out on a final drive and win the game with his arm talent ability. Yep. And Matt Ryan isn't isn't a guy that has the yips. He's not afraid of throwing an interception. He's been in the league almost, I think, 13, 14 years now. He's up there, yeah. And he, he's a proven winner, right? He took this team to the he, – well, he took the the Falcons to the Super Bowl, and you, you alluded to it, having Jonathan Taylor, having a good offensive line because he has not Very had good. a good offensive line. And he's got some weapons in the wide receiver core. You know, young emerging Michael Pittman Jr. there I think is a really nice player. Um, I think this is a win. I think a third round pick was the perfect value for Atlanta to get back for him. I think he gets to give it two, maybe three more years with this emerging team for the Colts. And they're in win now as well. You know, I like this actually more for the Colts than had Baker actually come over. I think 100%. Ryan's experience, I think his playoff pedigree, I think everything that goes into Matt Ryan, even his age, is going to give you three years of this window where this roster is still intact. And again, 
next offseason, they're going to have money. You know, if you look at this season, maybe they're only they a 10 win team. Bro. They have so much money. They saved, well, I think, five, five million on Ryan on Ryan's deal compared to Carson Wentz because Atlanta's eating the dead cap. Correct. But at this point, you know, they haven't really added a big time spark plug to that offense. I, you know, right. had the deal been done f- four weeks ago, I would have liked to see them add another offensive weapon to that wide receiving core. And something I was going to say about Deshaun, and I'll say the same thing about the Colts. We talk about MVS going to the Packers. This would be a massive signing for both of these quarterbacks. You know, Matt totally Ryan being agree. able to get MVS as a, as a weapon, an athlete on the field, pairing him with Pittman, and then Watson getting MVS. Like, there should be a market for these few wide receivers that are still available because these new quarterbacks on these new teams, they need weapons. And these two teams in particular, they, they're a little bit lower than we'd like to see. But Matt Ryan in this system, it's a running system first. You've got the guard play down pat with Quentin Nelson. I, I love it. I think it's a great deal. Moving over to the diamond, we had three players of pretty high notoriety get moved over um, over this past week and weekend here. The first one was the hot ticket this offseason. One of the hot tickets, Carlos Correa to the Minnesota Twins. Trevor Story ends up going to Boston. And then the Blue Jays trade for the third baseman for the Oakland Athletics, Matt Chapman. So let's start with Correa here, Matt. Only a three-year deal. Got his He got his payday, but... The Minnesota Twins, huh? So him and Gary Sanchez moved over there. I know they had a solid season last year, but to me, I was going over everything, and I know you got a lot of in-depth stats. Like, obviously, Correa is a great player, but it still feels like it's the White Sox division to lose, even though they lost Rodon um, this offseason. It is, and the Correa signing is really interesting, right? Three-year deal. How this is structured Super is- interesting. If Correa has a good season, and we're talking, we kind of talked off air, like if it's MVP or above all-star level, Correa is obviously going to opt out. He's going to walk away from the and two what, remaining years. what year years. can he opt out? Third year all, or second? All of them. So it's a, he's playing oh, on one-year deal. Oh, so he's deals. literally on a prove-it deal, and so, if for some reason he sucks, he can just correct. take that 35. So okay. 35 for three years. Each year, he has his own opt-out. This isn't a club opt-out. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, it was a genius signing for him and for the Twins. You know, I don't really understand still what they're doing, but you bring in Sanchez. It's just classic Minnesota career. sports, dude. Honestly, you know, like, <laughs> hey, here's, here's, here's another team's garbage, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. seriously, I know that's kind of fucked up to say, but that's how it feels. Like, yeah, we'll take you over. Over here. Well, it's interesting because outside of the White Sox, you have Kansas City who's kind of emerging with some of their young players. And then the same thing can be said for Detroit, a lot of young guys. And yep. the Twins as well, they have young players. So they have Jose Miranda, who's a huge third base prospect, uh, destroyed the minor leagues last year. There's a spot open for him. Currently, Gio Urshela is kind of slotted in to play third base. I think Miranda, uh, Jose Miranda comes in probably a month or two into the year. But you're pairing him with Gary Sanchez, Carlos Correa. Uh, they have a young outfielder whose name is eluding me who came back from wrist surgery this past year. He was highly touted, and I actually have a lot of faith in him. So from a lineup perspective, I really like what they are doing. But what I don't like is Correa signing there from the simple fact that the ballpark doesn't really suit him. If you look at his numbers last year in projected home runs via ballparks, he only would have hit 22 home runs in Minnesota last year, whereas opposed to say he had he signed the same contract with the Yankees, he would have expected to hit 37 home runs with the Yankees. Holy cow. Correa hit uh, 27 with Houston. Now, the metrics are a little skewed on Baseball Savant because when they look at this, they actually say you play all of your games in that ballpark okay. as opposed to having road home splits. But 22 is not really a $35 million player, and Correa really isn't a 300 batting average 
bat anymore. So what you're really hoping for is some of these young guys to be elevated by his performance. And I think ultimately that's why they signed him, you know, kind of be a tutelage to Miranda, kind of be a tutelage to some of the other young bats they have. And ultimately with the expectation that he, if he has a good year, you win, he wins, he's out of town. Now your young guys have that veteran leadership within themselves. I would have more or less liked to see him sign this deal with the Yankees, but we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. They have Anthony Volpe, who will be their shortstop of the future. I'm just looking at the numbers, though. 37 home runs in Yankee Stadium paired with even Josh Donaldson. Damn, that lineup would have been fun. Well, and so my the, my big question is to you then, and what I'm thinking is, so where did he want to go then? Like, So say he, say he wins AL MVP, say he's in the top three in the conversation, he opts out like, where is the destination? Because it's clearly not Minnesota. This is a full-blown placeholder year. Like, what? Where is? what does he want to do? Does anybody know? Well, and this is a much bigger conversation, and I think this goes into the same idea that we talked about with Baker. We talked about with Freddie, right? Like, sometimes when you're the last guy to, to sign or you're holding out because you Screw have a certain... Screw the pooch. Top, yeah, you screw yourself over. And if you look at Corey Seager signing down there with the Texas Rangers, I think it was around 35 a year. If and it was like, what, the right? first or second day of the team? Oh, yeah. Period too? It was immediately done. Yeah. And every other team that really needed a shortstop was like, you know what? We're not really comfortable offering that. And you usually <laughs> see that in offseason. There is For one sure. team that's willing to cash themselves out. And if you're not the one signing that deal, you're in trouble. So with Correa signing this deal going into next offseason, he's assuming that, hey, another deal will be there. I have to perform at my level. I am only a year older, so I'm not really burning myself. But this probably does cost him a 10-year contract. Yeah. I would guess next offseason he signs kind of a Matt Olson in terms of um, yearly length, probably an eight- or nine-year deal. But he's getting paid $35 million a year. Um, and if for any reason Anthony Volpe has severe issues in the minor leagues this season or say the Yankees absolutely are making a run for it and he is needed to be traded in a package to get pitched, I could see Correa actually then going to New York. But this is another thing we spoke about off the podcast. New York has to pay Aaron Judge. That's going to be a $35 million deal. Did you really want to allocate $70 million to two players on top of what you're paying an older, aging, non-productive at times, Giancarlo Stanton? That's almost and $100 Cole. million. Dollars. And Cole, right? That's one thirty off the top of four or five guys. Hey, so if, that's if a lot of money. Yankees, if the Yankees can't get to another World Series, though, that don't put it past New York to do some shit like that, though. You know, the time, I don't think there's one team with more pressure on them than the New York Yankees. And this gets to the next player here, the guy that everyone in New York was like, oh, we're going to get him if we don't get Korea. We're going to get him if we don't get insert Corey Seager, right? Um, Trevor Story goes to their bitter rival, <laughs> <laughs> literally the Red Sox. And I'm really, really starting to start liking these Red Sox, bro. Um, they were the sleeper team last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was definitely rooting for them in the playoffs. I loved that game against uh, the Yankees in the wild card game. It was such an odd. They were a fun team last year. They brought a lot of those guys back and they signed Trevor Story. I thought this was a massive deal. You do not feel the same way. You think he's a you think he's a fraud. So uh, you're right. When we were talking about this off off air, um, I flat out said to you, Trevor Story is not a good baseball player. Yeah, that's, that's not necessarily <laughs> the case of, of how I feel. I just don't think Trevor Story is at the same level that our, uh, Nolan Arenado is, right? Um, and Arenado had significant steps back in his production last year when he went to St. Louis. Yeah, the home runs were there. But the average fell, right? The counting numbers also fell because he's not benefited from Colorado's park. 
So I have another number for you, and this actually is eye-popping, and I really don't understand it. I think because ultimately Colorado, while yes, it's a great hitter's park, it's not necessarily a great power park because especially with the humidor there in Colorado, the ball just doesn't fly as far, but it's a big open outfield. So you get a lot of base hits. You get a lot more doubles. The opportunity for triples are there. But if you look at Trevor Story's expected home runs, I'll give you a couple teams here. He had 24 home runs in 2021. He would have hit 48 home runs in Yankee Stadium. That's 48. so crazy. He would have hit uh, 41 for the for the uh, Astros, who also need On a shortstop. Short yeah. um, and then in Boston, he would have hit 38. So he definitely has power numbers that are going to be like translating, I think, to other teams. But I had also said to you, Boston was the second best hitter environment for Story. He's a very pull right-handed hitter. That monster, I think, is going to lead to probably a lot of double production. Uh, I think the power will be there, but I still expect that batting average to take a tumble. I'd expect for him to hit around the 250 mark this season, but maybe that wall helps elevate him to 270. If he can add, say, 35 doubles, 40 doubles, 30, 35 home runs and hit 250, to me, this is a pretty good deal now that I think about it. The only problem is you really have to look at this as Trevor Story, Xander Bogarts. Bogarts has an opt-out after the 2022 season. I would still rather have Xander Bogarts long-term than Trevor Story. But the problem is Bogarts will be competing with Correa next offseason. He probably gets a 25 to $32 million contract. Story here, you are getting a discount. So Boston can add pitching throughout the next few off-seasons, which is what they desperately need to get farther into the playoffs. Well, yeah, and the other guy that's crucial for that infield in Boston now, too, is is do they want to keep Devers, too? And it's like, are we going to have this super infield on the field as well as at the plate? Because Xander Brogart is one of the best um, hitting middle infielders in, in the game, right? And Devers had a massive season last year for them. And, I, I mean, you know, I would expect him to put up similar, if not better, numbers as well with less pressure on him. That's why I think he's a better player, too. So it's a really interesting situation out there in the AL East with Boston. And then the last guy I brought him up when we introed baseball here was Matt Chapman from the A's getting shipped off to Toronto to bolster up that defense and their lineup there as well. Um it's funny, man. All these ALEs teams seem to be getting these guys. The Yankees aren't getting. Um, and like I said, all the pressure is always going to be on New York. So I think Matt Chapman to Toronto. I loved the move, man. Obviously, Oakland's going to be Oakland, and they're going to sell until they leave. They're going to always be insignificant. I'm sorry to all my friends and all of our listeners that are Oakland A's fans, but it's just the truth, and they know it. Um, what were your thoughts on this Chapman move? When I saw it, I loved it. Checked out the lineup, saw their need there at, um, in the infield. I, I think it's a home run. Well, yeah, it, it's an absolute home run. You lose Marcus Semien, who had 48 home runs last year. I mean, he absolutely The production is insane. It's insane. He And he went and signed a great contract, and kudos to him. But to be able to bring in a bat, and more importantly, a defender. Matt Chapman is a platinum gold glover, which if you don't know... Gold gloves are handed out at the end of the season, but one player from each division uh, is given the platinum gold glove, which is the best defender, hands down, in your league. And Chapman has won it multiple times. Arenado, also in the NL, was getting the platinum gold glove when he was with Colorado. Chapman, though, had come off hip surgery in 2021, kind of had it down 2020, 2021, but hips are huge in the Major League Baseball. Let's not get around ourselves, right? You're generating power from the lower half. You're also creating exit velocity based off the lower half. And if you look at his exit velo last year, he was at an 89.7 
Matt Chapman in, in 2020 was at a 93.6, 92.7 in 2019, 93.1 in 2018. So you definitely saw the impact of that injury. He's come out and he said he's fully healthy. He's fully recovered from that hip injury. I expect him to be able to come out and perform well. He's never been a batting average guy. He sits around that 250. I could see him in that lineup actually hitting 270, having his counting numbers through the roof because let's be honest, Vladdy is there, Bo Bichette is there, right? George Springer is, is there. All of these guys are going to elevate him. And we've talked about this with a few other guys. He, Matt Chapman had 27 home runs last year with Oakland. Really, really bad ballpark. Coming terrible. over, to, Yeah, terrible ballpark. Coming over to Toronto, he was expected to have 32 last year. And again, he was hurt last year. I would not be surprised to see Matt Chapman hit 40 home runs for Toronto and being just an absolute massive upgrade in that, in that overall infield. And the biggest winner, Blue Jays pitchers. This guy is literally going to save runs, and he is going to help keep those Super ERAs down. Point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning into another episode. Check us out on social media for clips. Subscribe to the pod. Turn your notifications on every Tuesday, Thursday. We'll have a podcast at 12 p.m. Pacific time. Check us out. Pitcher Bet Pod at Pitcher Bet Pod. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Cheers. Have a good one.